Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers in writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual summer writers conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, Eric Fritzhughes. Thank you, Gertrude, and hola, listeners. Welcome to Episode 38 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fritzhughes. Our guest for the podcast today is Tamara Woods. She's one of the co-founding members of the group Morgantown Poets. Tamara has also written for a number of West Virginia newspapers, including the Dominion Post and the Wheeling News Register. Since 2005, she's been the organizer and host for a regular Morgantown literary event called The Speakeasy, which serves as a poetry slam open to the community. She currently writes a blog called Pen Paper Pad for IndiePosted.com and frequently serves as a guest writer on other blogs. And in just one short week, Tamara and her Morgantown Poets cohort, Ted Webb, will be conducting a workshop called Poets' Guide to Metaphor and Marketing at the Monongalia Art Center in Morgantown. Tamara Woods, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, Tamara, I thought we could open up the show today by covering a little bit of your background, um, just to introduce folks to you and to Morgantown Poets. How did you first come into the writing world? I started writing poems when I was... 12, and a boy broke my heart. That's how it always begins. Yeah, and it was all, you know, teenage angst and, and you know, Alanis Morissette type of <laughs> writing. <laughs> but as I've grown older, I um, went to WVU and studied uh, news editorial journalism. So I started writing articles and things, you know, went into this very fast idea of what newspapers was going to be and then realized hmm, newspapers are kind of dying out a little bit. It's time to find something different. So now instead of writing for newspapers, I concentrate on trying to find blogs to guess write for. And I have my own blog and I also write for Indie Post-it. I was, was checking out your, your blog, Pen Paper Pad, and uh, noticed that it's for, for Indie Posted, which is kind of a, a revenue sharing service that pays their contributors for the articles based on the number of page views they have. Former podcast guest Rhonda White similarly has written for a group called eHow.com. What has your experience been with Indie Posted? How's, how's that gone? Well, my website, I just have um, my articles that I write for them. It kind of pops up, but it's separate from them. But um, I've enjoyed it because I get an opportunity to write about anything that I find that's interesting and it's kind of trending on the Internet. And I, you know, I like reporting news, so it's been a really good experience. I believe you and I first met at the West Virginia Writers Summer Conference in 2009, and you recently reminded me that you attended one of the workshops I led there, which was on blogging and podcasting. So I guess it must have had some effect since since you're now a regular blogger and uh, have also written using LiveJournal before that. For all I know, you've been writing blogs long before the workshop, though. Well, I... I've had the live journal blog for, gosh, since probably 2002, but it was always personal, and I hadn't really opened it up for public view. So I attended your workshop so I could 
learn about blogging for revenue, basically. And then I covered like two minutes worth of that. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I didn't help you out. And you've actually been blogging longer than me because I didn't get started until 2003. Oh, cool. Well, now, in, in my research for this interview, I happened upon your Facebook page and noticed right away that you have a quote by one of my favorite writers, Neil Gaiman. So right away, you're automatically good people in my book. <laughs> I'm, I'm always interested in how fans of Neil Gaiman first came to read his work. How did you first come to know of him? A friend of mine introduced me to him. He had given me basically a, a list of books that I needed to read before I died. And one of them was Sandman. Ah, yes, the Sandman connection. Uh, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with this, uh, Sandman was a comic book series that Neil Gaiman wrote with a bunch of different artists from the late 80s through about the mid-90s to wide critical acclaim, and it's one of the ones I recommend highly to most people who are interested in good fantasy fiction or just good storytelling in general. I'm not the biggest graphic novel fan, but I've found that through him I've grown more interested in the genre. I just really enjoy his writing, and the stories are always so rich. Well, he's such a Renaissance man writer, too. I mean, he writes writes comics and novels, but he also does poetry and children's books, essays and screenplays and teleplays, pretty much anything under the sun. And now a lot of his work has been adapted into film. Um, if we could afford him, I'd lobby to get him as a guest at West Virginia Writers Conference, but I'm afraid he charges like forty grand for an appearance, so... Probably not in our budget. Yeah, but that would be absolutely amazing. <laughs> if it could happen, that would be incredible. I don't know if I've even told this story in the podcast before, but I kind of came to Neil by way of another favorite writer, Douglas Adams, because one of Neil's first books ever was a nonfiction book called Don't Panic that was about the various incarnations of Adams' Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. And a few years later, he began writing comics, and I saw an ad for some of his stuff when he did the comic Black Orchid. But I recognized his name, but I couldn't remember where I knew it from, and I assumed it was from comics. So I went through my entire comic collection trying to find anything by him and couldn't. And I finally collapsed back onto my bed, having gone through the final box, and my eyes happened to fall upon my bookshelf and saw the Don't Panic resting there with his name on the side. And then I was like, oh, mystery solved. <laughs> I've been a fan pretty much ever since. Tell us a little bit about your, your group there, Morgantown Poets. How did it form? Um, Morgantown Poets, actually, next month would make year two uh, since our inception. And um, it was started with myself, my friend Ted Webb, um, Casey Fox, and Charlotte Firestone. And basically, we're all writers, write about different things, and wanted to have an outlet and a place to call it home. So we tried a few different places, but the Mac ended up being the best fit for us. Um, Roebrooks has been really supportive and instrumental in helping us to keep it going each month. It's been a really cool experience, but right now, um, Scott Emerson, he is kind of the front man for the group, and we're just there to support him in any way we can and go to readings. So it's really exciting to see it to go to someone new and get kind of a new life into it. Do you have regular critique group meetings, or is this primarily an organization producing workshops and performance opportunities? Really, it's been just about having the monthly time to come together and read and having a featured reader. So there's been featured readers from all around the North Central West Virginia area 
listening to them in the first hour, they, that person reads parts of the work, and then the second hour is um, an open read. Has was the traditional format. Now, you've also been, um, since 2005 or so, the organizer of an event called the Speakeasy. The Speakeasy was a spoken word event where people would go on stage and perform their poetry, and it was either judged by a panel of judges or by audience applause. After the end of three rounds, whoever was decided the winner would receive some type of award, usually something that was donated by local businesses. We had something like that at uh, Carnegie Hall. Lewisburg had done a, a poetry slam and asked me to help organize it, and I'd never, ever been involved in a poetry slam before. And we did do the audience applause method, but we set up an applause meter So we basically had a... a a uh, soundboard hooked to a microphone and then we had a video camera trained on that soundboard and a monitor so the audience could see it so that they could tell when something pegged at the highest mark just just to help keep things on the straight and narrow as far as the audience was concerned since they were the the judges for the event worked out pretty good though considering we'd never done anything like that before that's a pretty cool idea i hadn't thought of that it probably would work just as well <laughs> just listening to what the audience is doing, but uh, maybe have a couple of judges to say yay or nay. But. Yeah, I'm not very technical savvy, so I just went with the naked ear. <laughs> that works. That works just as well. Let's talk a little bit about the workshop you're helping organize next weekend, The Poet's Guide to Metaphor and Marketing. It's described as a workshop that will first teach you how to make your poetry sing and then show you how to market it. How did this workshop come about? Um, actually, this is totally independent of Morgantown Poets. It's um, Ted Webb and I. While we were doing Morgantown Poets, and there would be people that would ask us if there were poetry workshops available. And we decided that it only made sense to try to fulfill the need of what, or what we perceive as the need of um, Morgantown, basically. So Ted decided that he wanted to tackle the metaphor aspect of the writing, and I decided that I wanted to help people more with their marketing using uh, social networking sites and such. Yeah, I was just thinking, uh, just on the surface, the concepts of metaphor and marketing might seem like an odd pairing, but both are really very important to successful published poets, and so it, it makes sense to to combine them for a workshop like this. Uh, metaphor, of course, being a choice topic to cover for any poetry workshop, but I'm very glad to see the uh, marketing aspect also on the agenda. Uh, without spoiling your workshop, can you tell us what your basic approach is for the, the marketing side and maybe talk a little bit about what you think Ted's doing for the metaphor side? Well, with the marketing, I plan on introducing people to uh, different social networking sites and seeing what they're already doing and helping them to tweak it to make it more profitable for and to get their work out more. Um, with Ted, I think that he is planning on doing more of writing exercises. Well, what is the current status as far as you're concerned for online markets for poetry? That seems to be where a lot of poetry is going these days, since I don't know that it's really tearing up the, the print publishing charts. These I think that with writing in general, that really using the internet is the way to go. It's a wide open market with a ton of sites that are available, that are free. You can, you know, learn more. You can connect with people. Sometimes, and I know this for myself, being a writer, you can kind of get 
well isolated from other writers, especially if you live in a rural area like West Virginia. But being able to use the Internet to kind of connect to these different communities and feeding off each other and learning about where you can try to publish and where you can go to maybe even get more help with your work, I think is extremely important and instrumental in furthering anyone's writing career. How is the, um, I guess to use an ugly term, the monetization of, of this have you have you seen anyone making money at poetry online? I think that being a writer, it's better for you if you try a multifaceted approach to maybe not just trying to monetize your poetry, maybe doing a um, a couple blogs or being a guest blogger, perhaps even doing a, just whatever that you could find that would also lead into your interests and help you to make money. They might even consider doing a podcast. We were also talking about how print in general seems to be uh, on kind of a downward slope, at least in the view of some people who are citing things like Kindles and iPads and the like for being the downfall of print. I don't know that that's necessarily the case so much as the new online media reading devices offer another forum for people who might not otherwise buy a poetry book in a bookstore but could, through some judicial online marketing, be led to download one to the device of their choice. Exactly. I think that it would be a detriment to the writing community to see this new technology as a threat. You have to use it as a tool to further your goals. There's always going to be something new that comes up. But I think that when it comes down to it, a writer is a writer, whether it's on paper or the internet, or Kindle. You're still a writer. How much is the workshop? The workshop is $30 the day of, and we're offering a $10 off discount to students. And I understand there's a uh, $5 discount if people can get their registration postmarked by today's date, July 30th. Um, so if, if folks are listening to this right now, and it's still Friday, July 30th, they can pop that in the mail and get a $5 discount on that for pre-registering. That is also true. Um, there also should be registration at the door, though, assuming there are seats still left. So I guess pre-registration would be the ideal way to secure a seat. It would be, but um, I'm encouraging people to, if you want to come and it's Saturday, August 7th, and you want to attend our workshop, I would encourage you to come and just sign up at the door. Well, this will be taking place, um, this will be next weekend from 1 until 3 p.m., at the Monongalia Arts Center, or the MAC as it's locally known. And we will have all the information on how to find that, as well as a registration form you can download at our website. So people can just have the one-stop shop there and and head on over next weekend for the, for the workshop. Well, Tamara, thank you very much for being on the program today. I hope to have you back for future workshops that, that you guys organize. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Tamara Wood's work can be found at her blog, penpadpaper.com. The registration form and more information for the workshop on August 7th can be found at our website, podcast.wvwriters.org. Before we leave you today, I'd like to play you a voicemail that we received. It was one sent to us as part of this podcast's effort to drum up letters for National Public Radio's show, State of the Reunion. In each episode of their show, they devote time to hearing letters written to cities by the people who live in them. 
We sent all the letters we received as voicemail to State of the Reunion to give that show's producers an idea of the sort of thing they might hear during their visit to this state this month. One such letter came to us from Joey Medea, the artistic director and resident playwright for the new Mystic Center for Arts and Education in Fairmont. He's also a former contributor to the podcast. I'd like to play Joey's letter for you to help inspire more people to call in with similar letters so that we can use them for a future show. Dear Fairmont, for far too long have you slept silent. Like the locomotives that once ran the rails along your river, the world changed. With coal no longer king, you lost your steam. The firebox no longer tendered, you draped your dreams and sank in sleep. But we hear you, lady, waking, ready to rise again. In your Main Street vision vibrant, in your merchant morning meetings, in your feast of seven fishes, in your artists and educators, in your festival of blues where Johnny's still so good, in your buildings refacaded, in your people so determined. And to all those who doubt you, who speak of starts false started, of actions unenacted, of visions never vaulted, of plans and desks forgotten, they are staring at a memory less of substance than ideas. They point to your caked makeup, your stained and stinking ball gown. They say the lady's faded, her best days in the past. But we hear you, lady, bathing, shining up your skin. In the classes of your colleges, in the brushstrokes of your artists, in the bustle of your businesses, in the beckoning of your bridges, in the caring of your councils, in the parables and gatherings, in plays played by your casts. We won't say you've held no secrets in your belly, in your breast. We won't say your gown was spotless, even in your early days. But the prejudice and pride, the dealings dark and crimes, won't diminish your renewal but remind us of what comes when the lady is dishonored and we serve our baser needs. And we hear you, lady, speaking of the promise of your past. In the fort of frontier dreaming, in the mission hope redeeming, in the wide to young men calling, in the shelters hunger feeding, in the courthouse law enduring, in the cafes thoughts exchanging, in parks and theaters celebrating. It's now time to clean the firebox of its century-old coal, and find a finer fuel for you, Fairmont, one that burns clean and shining in the twin turbines of community and diversity. And as you stir, awakening, like locomotives newly steaming, we hear your words of warning. I can only be what you will make me. Thanks once again to Joy Medea for phoning in this letter, and indeed to all the people who have as well. And once again, we'd like to hear your letter to your city, and possibly use it for a Dear City Letters podcast of our own. These can be written from a place of love, anger, humor, and beyond, addressing the likes and dislikes you have for your city, or breaking misconceptions about it. You can phone your letters in to our voicemail hotline, 304-661-9745. You'll have two minutes and 45 seconds to record your letter, but if you need longer, feel free to call back and start where you left off. Also, if you mess up, fear not. Just say three, two, one, and start again. We can edit out the rest. That number again, 304-661-9745. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at cdbaby.com. 
This podcast is a production of Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded atop a hill in Mercer County.